gendered issue for all women. Hey, hey, Mickey here. Welcome to one of this week's Sunday Chops. Over on To The Chops, Hannah and Jen have a cracking chat with crime writer Sophie Hannah about her podcast, How To Hold A Grudge. It is all gloriously go. Mary's done you wrong and you need to make room in your grudge cabinet, which may or may not involve a carpenter. They also natter about Pyro and if anything's changed since Sarah Phelps' cracking take on the character, the ABC murders. Well worth your time. Have a listen. Over here, I catch up with journalist and author Daisy Buchanan to talk The Sisterhood. It's the name of her latest book, which charts relationships between her five sisters specifically and women in general. And it is a cracking read, relatable whether you've got biological birds in your family or a set of pals that feel like they should be. We know her body image, teenage girls and magazines, advertising, lifting up other women, visible vulnerability, and that time I put my sister in an outdoor cupboard. Just a heads up, towards the end of our chat, both Daisy and I touch on some horrible stuff that's happened to us, which some listeners might find disturbing. And alas, I had to cut out the bit where Daisy got very distracted because she was convinced she could see a penguin outside her window. Turned out to be a woman and her dog. But trust me, it happened. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Hello, I am joined on the phone by journalist, fellow podcaster and author Daisy Buchanan. Hey, Daisy. Hello. Thanks very much for talking to us. It is my absolute pleasure. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I'm very excited about this. Oh, bless your chops. Your latest book, The Sisterhood, is out now and it is a love letter to sisters, specifically your sisters, Beth, Grace, Libby, Maddie and Dottie. And so as the eldest of six sisters, I can only assume that growing up in a big group of females meant you were all BFFs or bitter rivals at all times with absolutely no grey areas in between. Is that right? That is correct. It was (laughs) a very extreme time and that state of affairs could shift within hours and minutes. You went to all the states and it's a real rainbow of feelings every single day of the week. I mean, that is a whole lot of group dynamics to navigate. What I think is interesting or confusing is I feel as though I'm not good in big groups because of having that experience. I'd hope that it showed me how to navigate that, but actually I get quite anxious in groups, and I think it's perhaps because with sisters, you are biological sisters, I think, and, you know, obviously there are exceptions to this, but we were lucky in that we all knew we were were in it for the long haul and we could cross lots of lines. Mm -hmm. And so I feel as though in polite society, in other groups, there are rules that I don't know and I've never learned because my first experience being in that big group was being with those people where you could cross all the lines. My first question was a little bit tongue-in-cheek because I think it's what everyone thinks about women and about girls, either that you are firm friends with no arguments and it's all meadows and skipping, (laughs) or you hate each other and there's a fight to the death, a cat fight to the death, if you will. And it's not like that at all. That is absolutely true. And I think it's so interesting the way that that relationship becomes polarised. I guess I wanted to write the book because I love books about sisters and novels about sisters and I've got a theory that it's quite hard to write about groups of women you know it's the old-fashioned bestial test I guess people or editors saying well you've got a woman and a lot of it is about her interactions with other women and why is why is this interesting and why does nobody pursue a big whale in this book (laughs) and so you come back from that 
And if they are sisters, that's a really good cover to explore those relationships between women. And the reason so many writers, I think, have been drawn to explore them is because, as you say, there are so many shades. What I love about those relationships we have with women is because I think that, you know, as a as a horrible, self-obsessed person, but, um, you're always looking at, at your sisters, be they biological or otherwise, marvelling at your similarities and differences. And all of that love and hate, all of that intensity comes from how you see yourselves in each other and how you fail to reflect yourselves as well and I think sometimes women and it's not necessarily helpful or rational but to do with the the world we've grown up in we feel as though we want someone to give us permission to think and feel and look the way we do and if that's not being validated or mirrored I think we feel a bit left let down and it can be a bit bewildering for us I definitely feel as though as I've got older I'm in my 30s now. I have got so much better at really celebrating and championing difference in women. And that's in my actual sisters and in the women I feel a sisterhood with. And that's sort of all women everywhere, really. What is really thrilling about having so many women who I share, you know, DNA with and biology with, and yet we are so, so, so different, is that I can look outside, mm-hmm. you know, look at other women and realise there are so many differences to to celebrate. It's lovely to, you know, to feel validated, see yourself in someone else. But it's also really, really exciting to appreciate how a person's different experience or viewpoint or background could you know, lead them down a completely different path to yours. There's a really lovely line in the book and you say, if you spend time with any woman, you will find your twin and an alien. <laughs> I, I absolutely believe that. I guess one of the big questions is what have Beth, Grace, Livy, Maddie and Dottie's reactions been to the sisterhood? I was really, really scared. To be honest, I was scared about asking them if I could write it. I think because it was a book that I was absolutely desperate to write. And if they'd said no, and they would have had every single right to say no, because mm-hmm. it's quite a big thing to to represent people's lives. And as an unreliable narrator, I believe every person in a family is an unreliable narrator. We all, I think, have that experience of we'll tell a story and then someone else will correct us. And we're like, no, it wasn't Christmas. It was the August bank holiday and it wasn't mum. It was dad and it wasn't a traffic jam. It was a queue in a shop. No one really has the authority to tell family stories and you have to take it. So, yeah, I was really scared that they would, just dispute everything but actually something that they have said that has just made my heart swell is that it's been really useful for them and they've had moments and memories they felt uncertain about I think to do with all of the complications and difficult aspects of growing up and being a womanhood and all the insecurity and uncertainty that you feel I think that this book has made them feel okay about things they've all grown up Mm -hmm. with me as a big sister for a long time I really wanted to present myself to them as being strong and perfect just because I didn't want them to worry I wanted to be a place they could go and feel safe and they've learned a lot about my vulnerabilities that I shared in this book and they said actually that is much more useful and comforting to them but I'm not doing it perfectly that I felt as muddled up as they have sometimes and they've shared a lot more of themselves I think we've all realize there's a value to that and I know we talk about it all the time don't we it's 
it comes up a lot this like oh you know we must share our flaws and but I think there's a bit of a double standard we don't really know how to do it or do it usefully and this can be a way of women just turning up saying oh I'm sorry I'm rubbish and actually it's about using that vulnerability and finding strength through it if nothing else I know that um that my sisters have found the book very useful in that respect I really really hope other readers do too but I've got five positive reviews which is nice (laughs) <laughs> well you can have six because I think it's amazing and uh, oh, so I related much. loads with little Daisy I was like oh my god you're me because I was the eldest as well I am the eldest nothing's changed did you steal anyone's liquor as your I think I was pretty much the same as you as in I would hold meetings and get everyone else into trouble and then be like well it wasn't me kind of thing and back <laughs> off and my sister was much skinnier and more athletic than me and I always sort of compared myself against her which was unfair I've actually got four brothers and a sister but we didn't all grow up in the same house and so yeah I related to loads of it so six very positive reviews and it is clear from the book that your sisters have helped you learn a metric shit ton about yourself it's absolutely true well it's interesting talking about the body image and as I explore in the book, it sounds like you had a, an experience that wasn't dissimilar, partly because I was older and partly because I just have a bit of a different body. My sisters were all slim, but also their bodies were children's bodies for a long time. And they could be really, really carefree and they'd run around and it didn't matter how they held themselves because they were just children playing games. But because I reached puberty relatively early, my body was being responded to in a way that I had no control over. And I was always, always kind of heavier than my sisters. I was bullied quite badly for um, for being fat. And to this day, I know I am absolutely in awe of the brilliant, brilliant women in the Instagram communities where the word fat is being reclaimed as a joyous and positive word. But because the bullying was so intense me I don't think I'll ever be able to get there and do that I'm exactly the same I'm really glad it's not just me thank you so much for sharing that and then it went quite quickly for me I don't know if it's similar to you but I was kind of barrel shaped I guess although I do look back at the photos <laughs> and think I was just a sturdy little girl fine my grandma used to always say I'd rather have her for a week than a fortnight because she eats us out as house and home <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sturdy. I was definitely sturdy. It's funny, isn't it, how... And I think it's interesting about grandmothers and mothers um, and the way that the other women in our life eat and the impact that has on us. But I went from, yeah, sturdiness to suddenly... I was an 11-year-old with tits, quite big tits, and I was quite tall. You know, I almost had a what looked from a distance like an adult woman's body with a child's head that was one really traumatic time when and it, I remember it so vividly because it was the day I got my period and for the first time ever or maybe it was the day after my dad was supposed to be going to his concert with my mum see Judith Durham who used to be in a very soaky band in the 60s called The Seekers for some reason mum couldn't I don't know if there was someone was supposed to babysit and I couldn't it was decided that as some sort of treat because I'd started my period to celebrate this time. Like, Daisy, you go with your dad and see the concert. And also, 
because when you're in a big family, and I don't know if you felt like this much, but you don't really get that much one-on-one time with your parents, especially as the, the, the older you are the less direct looking after you need. And so it was a bit of a treat to hang out with my dad and do something a bit grown up. But then, on this day, and I was 11, 11 years old, there were some old ladies in the bar who got chatting to us. They'd mistaken me for my father's much younger girlfriend. Oh, my God. And because I got my period, and there was all this talk swirling about, you know, how I was a woman now. And I was just young enough to just get very confused and, frightened and freaked out by the whole thing and obviously my dad laughed it off and said no this is my daughter but he's quite freaked out too and I suppose because he was in his mid-twenties when I was born and he's often gone on about the fact that he's quite useful looking (laughs) (laughs) I laugh now but I felt quite ashamed and again that wasn't too I mean you know they weren't sexually objectifying me in a direct way but I really felt that I'd done something wrong just for having this body. And it was quite clear that none of my sisters would ever be mistaken as my father's girlfriend. God, that's mental. My little brother is 10 years younger than me. And I'd be hanging out with him at 16 and like taking him places with the little friends he'd made in the swimming pool. The amount of times people thought he was mine. That he was your son. And it's just like, literally, I'm 15, 16. And they thought he was my son. That all of them were my children. <laughs> Wow. And I'm sure, I don't know if you felt this at the time or not, but I think about how this really toxic rhetoric around, you know, single mums. I'm sure, I think it's got much better now, but when I was growing up, you know, I remember seeing in newspapers headlines about how gin slip mums were the scourge of the nation. And I miss those times in terms of when news is a bit simpler. But did you feel embarrassed at all? Because I think I would have done. I think I was just surprised that looking back. Did you correct people and say, no, yeah, t- like immediately? Yeah, no, this is my little brother. I am 16. Yeah. I love the idea as well that it wasn't just him. It's like I had a brood of 10 year old children. I know, it's crazy. And I've actually got, so my family is very different to yours. Like I say, we didn't all grow up together. I was, my mum was a single mum with just me in the house for a long time. It's quite, quite complicated. And the woman I call my sister is actually my cousin, not in an EastEnders storyline kind of way, but in a, because we had single mums, we both grew up in my grandma's house together and we were so close in age that we were like, we were sisters and we we very much are still like that. But yeah, my triplet brothers are 19 years younger than me. So hanging out with them when I finally met them, the amount of people who just thought they were all mine (laughs) and judged, I could sense the judgment. It's interesting, isn't it? And I'm so interested in the fact that you have a sister who, you know, obviously, biologically, you know, you do have that that link to her as cousins. But I've got loads of cousins because I'm a Catholic family. My mum's got four brothers and they've all got loads of kids. You know, we definitely didn't spend as much time together as you you spent with your your sister. Um, But we, you know, it was really exciting to have that and me and my sisters we used to all really really show off in front of some of our cousins and it was interesting <laughs> how there was a bit of a hierarchy so we'd go to my granny's and we'd be really really excited because it would be people who were sort of our age to play with and I had uh, my cousin Claire because she was older than me by a few months she was born oh, in right. November and I was born the following March so having you know I'd, I'd be ex 
Mr. Horrible to my sisters, so she think I was really cool. Which obviously <laughs> that didn't work. Obviously, she didn't. That's interesting that you weren't the, but you weren't the eldest anymore. That must have no. been a real shift in dynamic for you because what you cover a lot in the sisterhood is how being the eldest, being the first, was your identity for so long. It really, really was. And I do think the lasting impact of that is that now I absolutely feel that I'm, I have failed if I'm not first at things. And I think because my sisters and I were all quite academic and we were told that being very good at school is very important. And so, you know, I grew up and feeling very much like a person who was, I was eldest, I was always top of the class or, or nearly, and I wasn't, and there were, very limited things I could do I did not like my body I did not I was not good at sport um I really really loved reading which has paid off now but Mm -hmm. at the time that was not a a cool thing to admit yeah I used to get called a bookworm as an insult oh she's the bookworm in the family Okay. Well, as insults go, it's a bit like in uh, Waste <laughs> where they call each other nincompoops, the worst word they can think of. Now that's a nerdy reference. <laughs> the idea of sisterhood is often extrapolated to female friendships. She's like a sister to me. And mm. I, I've got to be honest, I hear that most from women who don't have actual sisters. Yeah. I mean, I once hit my sister on the head and then panicked and trapped her in a bin until she promised <laughs> not to grass me up. And I just... <laughs> I just don't think a mate would stand for that. <laughs> it's a bit like, you know when you stub your toe and it hurts so much that you think, oh, maybe if I bash myself in the knee, that yes. will detract from the pain. Absolutely. That's, that's what, I'm just going to limit this accidental act of casual violence with some purposeful violence and that will <laughs> solve everything for me. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to... When my sister Gracie got married, one of her friends made a bit of a speech about how she felt like Grace was her sister too and that she was one of the sisters and we were all a bit, mm-hmm, <laughs> really? <laughs> That's interesting. And I do think I have a complicated relationship with my sister's friends and some of them I really, really love and I feel with some of them it's, a joy because you know that your sister's friends are excited to meet you and my friends are always so excited to meet my sisters but I was just talking to my sister and she was talking about one of her friends so she's got her little boy Arthur my nephew who I love with all my heart she was talking about how one of her friends really is Arthur's favorite and he gets very excited about seeing her and obviously she is to all intents and purposes she's another auntie i think that you don't have to be related to someone to be that presence in a a young child's life and obviously the more people who are around arthur who love arthur he's excited to be that just wonderful but i did also have a real pang of um right, right excuse me what <laughs> i don't think it's fair frankly that this woman gets to spend time with my nephew and i would like to be seeing my nephew like a strange sort of a jealousy and it's not very healthy and I do think that something that has come up a lot is is there a difference between friendship and sisterhood and I suppose what I do feel is that I am aware that I, I cannot take my friends for granted I shouldn't take my sisters for granted but I know and I hope that our bond is 
pretty much unshakable. And I know that I'm really lucky and there are lots of people who don't feel like that about their biological families at all. But I also know that with my friends, I've got to put the time in. I've got to nourish and nurture those relationships. Whereas I do, you know, talk to my sisters all day long on our WhatsApp group, which is also called The Sisterhood. But I suppose the expectations are different. And I know that my sisters, that everyone's really busy. And because there are so many of us as well, that we can sort of pick up the slack and be different people for each other at different times. Whereas Mm -hmm. I do think friendship is in some ways much more complicated. And for me, sisterhood is as simple as, I don't always like you, but I always love you. And that really is how I feel about women in general, that sometimes I will be aware of women I know, whether they're active acquaintances or just women in the public eye. And I'll think... I feel a bit let down by things you have said and done and I don't agree and I don't think this is good for a minute. But ultimately, we're all on the same team and, you know, I've got to have your back. I've, I want to touch on that again in a moment, but just sticking with the sisters and friends thing, there's a really lovely line where I think you nail it. And that is that you talk about the fact that we only have friends for who they are from when we meet them. Mm. But obviously with siblings, with sisters there's so much backstory like that time you put them in a bin etc that that (laughs) is very hard to grow out of that is just you i've done all sorts (laughs) of shitty things to my sisters but to the best of my knowledge i've never put them in a bin i've locked them in a few cupboards (laughs) it's the same thing it's just we were outside it's an outside (laughs) cupboard a bin is an outside cupboard i think most people would back me on that (laughs) Hey there, people of London and the surrounding areas. Anyone who's been paying attention will know that we've moved to a new London venue, King's Place, and a super venue it is too. We'll be back there on April the 18th with Helen Lederer, and again on May the 19th when we'll be chatting to she of Best Newcomer nomination at last year's Edinburgh Fringe, Sindhu V, and the legendary Catherine Tate. Am I bothered though? Actually, yes. Yes, I am. For info on this and all our shows, keep your beady eyes on our rather charming new website, www.standardissuepodcast.com. In today's common parlance, the sisterhood, with capital T, capital S, often means feminism. Do you think it works as an analogy? I do, because... I think that we've gone through a period of feminism being quite individualistic. I think that it's connected with the way we're all talking to each other online. And I'm not sure about these dates. They're not official dates. These are broadly my dates. I feel as though I started having conversations about feminism in maybe 2000. Eight, nine, ten ish. And in 2008, I started working for the teen magazine Bliss for teenage girls. And that was when I went from being, I think, quite a lazy, like, well, of course I'm a feminist, but you know, we're equal now, so it's fine, to I really, really, really care about what young women are reading in magazines. I feel a big responsibility to make sure they have something that is positive, that makes them feel good and confident and celebratory and also makes them into good citizens who care about other girls and women too. 
May I just ask, working for a teen magazine like Bliss and having worked in magazines myself, just to put that out there, how easy did you find it to balance that desire, which I absolutely agree with, and it's what Standard Issue stands for as well, for for grown-up women, but to balance that with advertising almost to an advert, advertising at women is about you lacking something, and it starts very young. We were really lucky at Bliss because I think I can say this now without getting into trouble. We didn't do so well. So we didn't have many adverts. It's it's the way forward. That's what did for us, ultimately. Um, Same, yeah, same with Standard Issue as a magazine. I think, as well, when I came to Bliss, it had gone from being published by EMAP, and I'm sure in your... um, when you started in magazines, you must have worked for some EMAP titles. So yeah, nerdy fact for me and you, possibly not so fun for listeners, EMAP sold off all of their, I'm going to say, exciting titles. I might get into trouble with all of the, the building people, who are like, our oh, magazines are exciting too, but they were left with lots of like Builders Monthly and You and Your Concrete. And <laughs> I love fun. that. It's my favourite read. You and Your Concrete. <laughs> I briefly worked in financial PR, and so I used to read quite a lot of those magazines that are only ever featured in that round if I got news for you. So, but because um, Bliss was sold to a children's publisher, Panini, famous for the football stickers, we didn't have an advertising department that would get people wanting adverts that were too problematic. Yeah. Um, but, no, it's a really good question, and I do believe that What's happening now is that there's an awareness that things need to change. There are some really smart campaigns that I love. I'm in love with the the This Girl Can adverts. I know not everyone is, but I think it's brilliant. Um, And I think I see more wit and humor. Nothing makes me laugh more than an advert that's really well done. But also, because I didn't really work much in fashion and beauty, which was a shame, because um, you do really, because we were a tiny, tiny team. We do muck in with absolutely everything. But um, I was mostly features. That was where all the writing was, which I loved. And then a lot of fashion and beauty was going to London and going to 50 shops and gathering things and carrying them around because there was no money for cars because we were so broke. But I remember thinking everything that that team did was really, really celebratory. It was never about problem solving. I picked up an old compilation of Jackie. It was manual. You know, Jackie was, I suppose, a, one of the... Like, was it Jackie launched the 70s? It was, very, it was their protein magazine. It wasn't really, because they were all the things like honey and pancake. Well, I suppose they're a bit more young women than teens. Just makes me think photo stories immediately. Yes, yes. And um, yeah. Jackie was quite early. And brilliant, brilliant people worked on Jackie. And it's really fun to read the old ones. And there's some great stuff in there but I found this and it was done like a cartoon and it was a you know dress for your body and it was as if your body was a problem to be solved like Mm -hmm. if your hips are too wide wear this if your legs are too wide wear this and we would never in a million years have dreamed of doing anything like that at Bliss and it was quite thrilling in a way to think gosh I think magazines for teenage girls and for women, we've come such a long way. And I suppose what's sad is that there are so few magazines for teenage girls anymore. And there's um, some some brilliant ones out there. I think um, Trouble the Pops is still going. It's great. I think Girl Talk is still going. But 
where teens can go for information, it's the internet and it's unedited and unfiltered. There's some brilliant places on the internet, but also lots of places teens can access aren't teen specific. And what I loved about Bliss and about Sugar and about Algirl, that really wasn't an edit. Sorry, it really was an edit rather, the opposite. That it was a people really, really thinking about content that would make teen girls feel a bit grown up and aspirational and special. That was a proper glossy magazine that was just for them. Because I remember being a teen and loving glossy magazines and reading them as a real experience. And they made me feel part of a world that was just a little bit cooler than my own world and I think that giving people that is really important but that was balanced alongside really thoughtful advice we were governed by this body called TMAP TMAP their main aim was if the majority of your readers are under 16 you've got to be very very careful when you talk about sex always remind people about the age of consent always talk about what consent is every time we did any sex feature there was a massive massive sticker logo that would go over it saying never have sex um, with anyone who is pressuring you into it, anyone who's ever making you feel uncomfortable in any way. I know consent is such a big news story now, but the people I work with and my editors were so on it then and so, so, so sharp. And I think it was because perhaps teen magazines that when we were working on them, the tone and the content is absolutely set by the reader. Um, I'm just going to interrupt because I can see a magpie out of my window and I'm very suspicious, so I must say hello, Mr. Magpie, say hello yeah, to your wife. That's fine. Because um, my mother taught me, well, a good Catholic woman, very superstitious. <laughs> and I think that there are certain magazines, I love Vogue, I really love Vogue, but I don't know if it's still there their tagline but for a long time it was buy nothing before you buy Vogue and I think that things have shifted and this might not be the case but I always felt that high fashion magazines the editors set the agenda and the readers follow it and in the teen mag world there was no way we could ever get away with telling them about themselves they absolutely already knew and we did so many focus groups and that was such a joy I used to write the real life stories so I'd be constantly interviewing young women and trying to help them tell their stories and you know it was a real privilege to to have their voice and to you know really just sort of give them the prompts and they'd be telling their story and I was just a a conduit I guess. And so is that when you sort of started to see feminism as a sisterhood? Yeah I think so and I think the reason that job mattered so much to me and it felt like such a privilege to you and I was so passionate about it was um well, at the time, when I got that job, the twins were Maggie and Dottie, 14 or 15, I think 14 going on 15. And I remember when I had my interview, I was in this really low professional place. I graduated. I'd been fired for my first job. I, you know, my plan, I'd gone straight for my plan B because all I wanted to do was write. And I thought, but no, girls like me don't get jobs like that. And I just panicked, fallen into this thing that I was very bad at. I couldn't believe it when I got an interview I thought, even if nothing goes further, and it won't go further, the fact that these people who make a magazine actually want to see me and talk to me and think my ideas are worth something. I'm getting a bit weepy now thinking about it. And so I just, you know, sat down with the twins, like, just tell me everything. And they were so generous and they 
could have told me to piss off. And actually, because <laughs> I'd been away at university, I you know, left home a few years ago and come back. It was a really, really brilliant opportunity to connect with them again and get to know them as young women. And that was so lovely and that informed so much of our relationship now. So, yeah, I felt as though every single reader of Bliss could have been Maddie or Dottie. And they were my sisters and I cared about them that much, you know, whether or not, you know, we may never even meet. But I felt that that sisterhood and feminism, it's a responsibility that you can't always do it every day. You don't always have the energy to do it on a level but in some way if you can make the world a tiny bit better for women and that could be anything that could just be retweeting something that a woman has written um, that you care about and that you agree with that could be whenever you're in any kind of meeting you know recommending another woman for a project but we are constantly drip fed really toxic information to make us feel badge about ourselves stuff that is just designed to limit us to set us against each other and so everything we can do to counteract that on a micro or macro level and something I wish I could remember who was talking about this recently but it's really important and it's something I always try to do if I get asked to do something and I can't do it like the other day um BBC Five Live wanted to comment or someone for a, a phone in and I was in a meeting or I was going to be on a train so I said email the journalist Sophie Wilkinson I worked with her and she's brilliant here's her email and they got her on and that or um there's another one where Jasmine Capucha who is at Refinery29 I worked with her at the debrief and Grazia and she is great and it was for a culture piece so yeah having I mean it's an absolute joy for me I've worked with enough women now to have this brilliant kind of Rolodex in my head of like it's like the company song have I got a girl for you I've always got a girl for you if you need it's not great for a podcast but I am grinning because I am I'm nodding along in agreement and beaming because you're right we have got this Rolodex of amazing women and people go oh do you know anyone who could do this and I'm like no I know like 12 women who could do that let me give you their names and it's it's such a great feeling it absolutely is. And to be at a point in my work now where, I mean, goodness knows, heaven, I mean, I'm always convinced that, you know, as a, a freelance writer, every job could be my last. I would get touching from wood because I'm superstitious. Um, but I never, ever, ever want to take anything for granted because I felt as though when I was trying to get everything going, it took a long, long, long time. Um, and I know how much opportunities would have meant to me and I may well be in a position where I'm the one who sat around going the phone's not ringing my email inbox I mean god no please god let the phone never ring (laughs) no one wants to answer a phone anymore glorious exception but (laughs) no no one ever wants a phone call do they but that I might have you know inbox tumbleweed um but if that I'm now at a point when I do have opportunities that I can't always take that I can give them to someone and I hope that one day the people who I give them to I mean also the people I give them to might be like no I don't want that opportunity but um that this is going to set in motion a culture but I've also been a very very fortunate 
recipient of it are so many women who have mentioned me at meetings, who've put me forward for things. I think that is something that's really powerful and positive and important. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to, to recognise that. And I know that I'm, I can only ever pay it forward. Send that lift back down. Absolutely. And on that note, there was a line in particular that made me say yes out loud. Yes. And that's when you say there is no. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell me you're on a bus <laughs> saying yes. Oh, I don't leave the house. Shut up. <laughs> it says there is no part of feminism that makes it mandatory for us all to like each other. Hell yes. It is so tiresome being told that we should all just get along because we're all women, as if we're like one homogenous, all agreeing mass, and anything other than that means failure for the cause. Because it's, a re- you know, everything that's, that's shitty is like, oh, you're a woman, so you like, you'll like this biscuit <laughs> that's got a shoe ice on it. And again, that, you know, so women like. Um, women like shopping and shoes and pictures of cats and each other. It's such a reductive list. Women really like this box we've made for them, which they should all fit into. <laughs> because the other part of it as well, it, I think it comes down to this idea that we should all be nice. And feminism isn't sainthood. We're allowed to be pissed off at each other. And do you know what? I want other women to have the freedom to piss yes. me off. I want women to not feel as though they have to be nice and to be liked. If anything holds me back, it's that I'm so worried that people won't like me. Quite a lot of the things I do, it's because I'm just so anxious that everybody would would hate me for it. I have one wish for my sisters, be them biological or general. It's that they don't feel like they need me to like them. I would like to caveat that by I want to encourage compassion and civility and we don't need to be rude to each other we don't need to put each other down and I think what's interesting about now is because we are in a world that is very inward and very outward at the same time we don't really have a culture of feeling things and thinking things and then just experiencing that thought and moving on because everything is published we've all got a platform we feel the need to share every single one of our opinions. And like, you're allowed to not like women. You're also allowed to keep that to yourself. I strongly <laughs> encourage keeping it to yourself. So if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, is what I want to say. But also, there will be times when you can't say anything nice, and that's yeah, fine. shut the fuck up. Not, not you. That was to the <laughs> hypothetical person we were talking to. That would be rude. That's going to make the rest really of the Really awkward. awkward. <laughs> I'm just, it's not going to work. I think it's the Theresa May, the Margaret Thatcher <laughs> Theresa May thing. It's, it's, I, you, you say I can disagree with all of her policies and what she's doing, but I can't judge her on the fact that she goes for a kitten heel. I don't like a coat. Shouldn't be part of why I am judging her actions. Well, it's a lot like Hillary, isn't it? And all the people, sorry, Hillary Clinton, my good friend Hillary. Come on, Daisy, her emails though, come on. But her <laughs> emails, the number of people saying, oh, it's not that I wouldn't vote for a woman, I just don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. I, yeah. let's be serious about this, because it is. Because if she was, if she was Hillary Benn, you probably would vote for her, wouldn't you? Absolutely. No one's like, it's not that he's a man, I just don't like his voice. It's just at a pitch. It's words like strident. No man has ever been called strident. No, or like you mentioned, there's a whole bit on being bossy and the word bossy, a whole chapter. And yeah, no man gets called bossy. Did you have that as the eldest? Was it just 
an attribute that was thrust Absolutely. upon you. Absolutely. Precocious and bossy. I think they were my, you know, pretty much on a T-shirt. That's interesting, I think, precocious, because in the ways that people want children to be childlike, people want women to be feminine. And both things, I think, are about people, other people feeling compromised by displays of strength. And like, no, we want you to be visibly vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. And again, you touch on this in the book, but the strength always being masculine qualities as well, as opposed to Mm. female strength, which isn't necessarily going to show itself in the same ways. This idea, yeah, that displays of emotion make you weak, whereas actually they're very strong because they make everybody uncomfortable. So uncomfortable, they want to shoot you down by saying, oh, no, you're just can't listen to you when you're being hysterical i had a a granted hideous ex-boyfriend very manipulative and controlling and it was toxic but whenever i cried he'd just go you are pathetic you are a failure and if i got angry go you're losing your temper and walk out and it was it was yeah that just i'm shutting down any displays of emotion and i took it because we are taught that those displays of emotion do make you weaker so he was just backing up everything i'd been taught I'm so, so sorry that happened oh, to you. What an utter scroach. Can I say scroach in the podcast? Do we need to edit this out? And that is just so cruel, isn't it? It's just dismissive. And it's really, it's just, and the thing is, I really, really hate the expression victim blaming because there's just something, the word victim and blame, the words that are just a bit grim and a bit, I don't know. They're always used in a very negative context, but that's what that is. I wish we could think of a different expression for for it that was, you know, just that people not taking any responsibility for for the impact of their behaviour and putting everything back mm-hmm. on you. And it's to do with something that we always feel like take up less space and smile. And I think about when I was raped by my boyfriend when I was 17 and a lot of the circumstances in that were his grandparents downstairs and I didn't want to make too much noise while trying to stop him because I didn't want to upset them and I didn't want them to be upset with him. Oh, Jesus. Daisy, I'm so sorry. But... I totally understand that. Thank you. Sorry, I should have perhaps warned you before launching into that anecdote. Could I call him that anecdote? I knew there was stuff in your history, because you touch on not that particular event, but on other events in your past. Again, a similar thing happened to me when I was little, a few a few things. And just that not making a fuss. Don't want to make a fuss. Don't want to upset other people. Um, I've not read it yet. I'm really excited to read it. Philippa Perry has a brilliant new book out about parenting, and it is called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Will Be Glad You Did. And I've read some excerpts, and a um, bit of a plug. We interviewed Philippa for our own podcast, Your Books. But she talks so wisely about the way that really old-school parenting is quite corrective. It's about finding the issues, the things that are not perfect within your child and trying to fix them rather than celebrating what your child can do that's wonderful, but also about this old-fashioned idea that, well, if your child is hurt, 
and you give them attention, they'll just keep on hurting themselves for the attention. And I think we all need attention. Every single human needs attention. And it comes back to nourishment and nurturing again. And so generations of us have grown up being starved of something that we need and trying to fix ourselves and balance ourselves because of this imbalance. And it's all part of the same thing that, you know, you need, you cry for help and people turn away from you because they have been turned away from and because you've been turned away from too you think it's normal when you don't say how dare you yeah yeah it's a a horrible vicious circle now then i'm gonna end this on a a much lighter note (laughs) thank goodness there's a whole section devoted to this in the book but could you share a few of the weirdest things people have said to you because you have sisters my favourite is when I was a very self-conscious teenager getting bikini waxes at the local beauty <laughs> salon. The very, very nice lady who waxed me also waxed my sister Beth. And she'd say to me, it's funny because you're quite fair and your sister's very dark, but down there you're the same. <laughs> That's horrific. <laughs> I was thinking, thank you for making me think about my sister's cute. <laughs> and also, it seems sort of weird that we will never look at each other's pubes like this, but a stranger has really got a head up close. One of my favourite ones. Come on now. There's, there were six of you. Didn't you, you know, practice kissing on each other? <laughs> and my retort, which I had to take a little while honing, if anybody said that to me now, I'd say, so you've got brothers. Did you ever give each other handjobs? <laughs> oh, it's just so weird. I. Uh, also, when I was really little, feeling very self-conscious because Beth was joyously, charmingly eccentric and had no filter and had such an amazing imagination. It was so, so, so smart. And all I'd get was, why is your sister so weird? And then later, same sister Beth when we were teenagers. It's like, your sister's really hot. Neither of those are fun to me. No. Neither one. No, and why Why is it that, and it, it was, it's always been men, men come up and tell you that your friend is really hot. Why are you telling me this? I mean, maybe just keep it to yourself, but if you have to tell anyone, do you want to tell her? Why am I being told this? Exactly, I'm not. I'm not a pimp. <laughs> Daisy, where can people find you? On Twitter, I'm at not Girl. Um On Instagram, I'm at the Daisy B. B-E-E. Please follow me on Instagram. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> Other people seem to be absolute naturals. I cannot take a picture for shit. They're really bad. All of my pictures are dreadful. I'm really selling myself on Instagram, aren't I? Oh, and I would love it if you like books. Please listen to my podcast. Um, our show page is acast.com slash booked. And it is me talking to writers I love and having big chats about the books that they have and being very nosy in their houses it is literally through the keyhole (laughs) lovely stuff and talking of books the sisterhood available in all good bookshops it is and i recommend listeners that you grab yourself a copy because it is a joy to read warm and funny and eminently relatable so thank you very much for writing it daisy thank you so much and thank you so much for having me on the podcast i've had such a lovely chat it's a bit like therapy um you should invoice me (laughs) Hey there, you lot. If you want to follow 
every aspect of our lives on social media, and why wouldn't you, because you're only human, you can! We're on Twitter as a team, at Standard Issue UK, or individually on at Inspiragen, at That Dunleavy, and at Mixter Noonan, and I'd like to think it'll be fairly obvious who's who. We're on Facebook as well, at Standard Issue Magazine, and even Instagram, at Standard Issue Podcast. Come to us, look at our faces. Standard Issue for all women.